0: One. Uh, allow me to add my word of welcome to you all. My name is Nick Price. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity, and it is my privilege to get to wrap up the being challenge with you all. We have been on quite the journey over the past 40 days. We've really been looking at what it means to become more like Jesus by spending time with Jesus. And specifically what we've been putting into practice are what we call keystone habits. Now, a keystone habit is a habit that people introduce into their lives that unintentionally carries over into other aspects of how they live. It's a, it's a habit that has benefits across the board. And we've asked ourselves the question, what were some of Jesus' keystone habits? As we look at his life, what were those things that he did consistently that seemed to form and shape who he was and how he lived? And as a result, we've really looked at five keystone habits that we see in the life of Jesus. We've learned what it means to commit to community, what it means to study scripture, to prioritize prayer, to seek solitude, and to choose church. And our desire in all of this is to help you identify what's one habit that you're going to continue to put into practice as you move forward. We know that you've tried a lot of different things as you've looked at these five keystone habits. And and what we would hope is that you would take one, one keystone habit that you're going to continue to put into practice so that it it flows out into the rest of your life and helps you to look, live, and love more like Jesus. And the reason why is because the journey is just beginning. I remember a couple years ago listening to a podcast with the leadership expert Michael Hyatt. And this is what he said about habits. He says, it takes on average 40 to 60 days for a habit to truly become a habit. It's not a habit just because we do it for 40 days. That's just the start. It takes 40 60 days for it to almost become second nature and then to really... uh, Uh, enjoy the benefits of it, to really see how it begins to affect the other aspects and the other areas of our lives. And so this is just the start. And this is important because of the fact that 40 does show up quite a bit uh, in the scriptures. Every time God was about to do something transformational in the lives of his people, it often came with the number 40 attached to it. That when Moses was being given the law and given the instructions for the tabernacle, he was on the mountain with God for 40 days. That before the people of Israel could enter into the promised land, they spent 40 years in the wilderness uh, wandering around. And Jesus himself took 40 days before he began his public ministry in order to be prepared, in order to get ready for it. And so these 40 days are really just the start of what we hope will be a lifelong journey of walking with Jesus. Because that's actually something that, again, the Bible tells us. It tells us that this life of faith that we're called to live is indeed a journey. In fact, one of the most common metaphors that we find in the New Testament for the life of faith is that of a race, an athletic competition. I love how the Apostle Paul puts it in 2 Timothy chapter 4. As he reflects on his own life, his own ministry, he says the following, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. God says that there's a race that we are called to run, and it's not just a sprint, it's a marathon. And anyone who's ever run long distance will tell you it takes a lot more than simply a good pair of shoes to run that kind of race well. This is something that I had to learn as a teenager when I entered into high school. You see, I'm not a very athletic person. I'm not very good at sports, but I I knew I should do something to stay in shape. And so I figured I would join the cross-country team because after all, it's just running, right? I mean, how hard could running be? After all, I'd been a kid. I'd run around on the the playground all the time. So this would be a, a piece of cake. And I got myself some shoes and I started running. And after the very first week of practices, I got shin splints. Now, for those of you who've never had shin splints before, I hope you never get them. Uh, basically, what shin splints do is, is they cause you to feel these sharp, stabbing pains in the fronts of your shins uh, every time you take a step, and it comes from kind of overstrain, overexertion, and hard impact from running poorly. And I remember my mom laughing at me as I I hobbled around our house, offering to get me a cane because with every step I would just make this loud groaning sound. And, and it was really painful. It was really uncomfortable. And the reason why is because although I had a good pair of shoes, I'd never been trained to run the race. Well, it took a lot more practices for me to understand what it meant to prepare my body. Uh, What it meant to start small and to build up endurance, even what it meant to pay attention to my form and how my feet impacted the ground so that I wasn't placing undue strain on my joints and my bones and my and my muscles. It took uh, my fellow teammates running alongside me and helping me uh, establish my pace and then maintain that pace and then grow stronger as a result of the different exercises and drills that we ran together. We are called to run a lifelong race, to have this marathon of faith that we run together. And what that requires is it requires training. That's why these keystone habits are so important. They're just the foundation. They're just the beginning. And so as we come to the end of the Being Challenge, I wanted to offer just kind of three words of insight about how to run our race well. And these three words really come to us from Hebrews chapter 12, where, again, the author talks about the life of faith being a race. Here's what uh, he writes. This is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and following. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now there are really three things in this passage that I think are important to acknowledge, to understand about how we run our race well. The first thing that we need to know is that we don't run our own race. We don't run our own race. I love how the writer of Hebrews says that we are to run the race that is marked out for us. It means that the path is set. God has a plan and a purpose for us. Now, this is important for anybody who's run a long-distance race is because in the in the midst of the race, it can be confusing of knowing where to turn and which way to go. And so when that race is marked out for you, it helps you just to focus on running it well, to not have to second-guess the route or where you're supposed to end up. Even in our training, we would plan out our routes on those long-run days because we knew without that route marked out, in the midst of our exhaustion, it would be very, very easy to turn to the right or to the left and get totally lost but what God says is he says I already have it marked out for you I've told you which way to go that's part of the reason why the keystone habit of studying scripture and prioritizing prayer those two habits are so important because it's in God's word that he teaches us where to run and how to run how to turn to the left or to the right or to stay straight ahead it's as we pray and we seek his will that he makes clear what the next step should be God has a purpose and a plan for you and he wants to help you run your race well if you would simply trust him with your direction. That's his promise is that he has it marked out and he calls you simply to follow him and to trust him as he guides your steps. I love how it says in the Old Testament that God's word is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. Our God has given us a purpose and a plan and called us to run our race well. But the second thing that we're encouraged with is that we realize we don't run our race alone. The beginning of the passage really reveals this. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You see, in chapter 11, what what the writer of Hebrews had done is he's gone through the Old Testament and highlighted all these different people from the Old Testament who had run their race ahead of us. People like Abraham and Moses and David. And he highlights these people not because they were perfect. In fact, if you read through the Bible, you very quickly find that they weren't perfect people. That Just like us, they had flaws and shortcomings. There were times in which they veered off course, in which they made horrible mistakes, in which they practically quit on God, but God never quit on them. And that's why when we study those stories, we're encouraged because we realize that that following God isn't about being perfect. It's simply about taking the next step with him. We read their stories and we realize that they're just like us, and yet God didn't give up on them. And so that provides us with some encouragement. But then what else I love about this passage is that he doesn't say, you run your race. He says, let us run the race together. There's this idea that we don't run by ourselves. Not only do we have people who've gone ahead of us and who are encouraging us, we have people who are running alongside us helping us to set our pace well keeping us on track and encouraging us when we feel like we've got nothing left you see as i was getting ready to run my very first marathon which i just ran this october one of the things that helped me so much was having a community of people that i could run with on those long run days on saturdays when we'd have to go out and run 10 12 14 16 miles i'll be honest there were mornings when i did not want to get out of bed to go do that and yet I knew my friends would be there, that there were people I was training with uh, that I could run alongside. And as a result, I'd get out of bed, I'd put my shoes on and I'd go and I'd run. And quite honestly, those became some of my favorite days of the week. I loved running alongside my friends because as we ran, we could talk. We could encourage each other. We could help each other to set our pace, to not overexert ourselves or go too slow. We provided the motivation that we needed, the motivation that we didn't have on our own. And it was such a joy when we finally got to race day and we got to stand there in our start corral together and celebrate the fact that we'd made it this far. And then run that race together, knowing that we would see each other at the finish line man, that helped me so much when the race got really hard and really difficult. It also helped me because there were friends and family in the crowds around us encouraging us. There were moments when I just didn't want to run another step and it's right as I came around a corner that there were our friends and our family cheering us on and so we'd pick up the pace once more. You don't have to run by yourself. That's why those keystone habits of of committing to community and choosing church were so important. It's because there that you have this opportunity Opportunity to be encouraged in community, to run that race and know that you don't have to do it alone. There are people who understand, who are there to support you and encourage you, and to run alongside you. The third thing that we learn from this passage is that we don't run on our own strength. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. He tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I love that he uses those words pioneer and perfecter because what it means is that we have a God who himself knows what it's like to run the race. Jesus knows how hard the race can be. He's been tempted, he's been tried, he's experienced all the heartaches and pains that come with trying to live life in this broken world. And as a result, he has compassion for us. He truly understands when life gets hard. He knows what it's like to see uh, friends betray you, to have plans not turn out well, to grieve over the loss of a loved one, to experience all the pains and the difficulties that come with living in our world. And as a result of that, he knows, he understands how hard the race can be at times he's not distant or disinterested he's deeply aware of what it takes to run this race and so he's here to encourage you but then what i love is it goes on and calls him the perfecter of our faith what that means is that he's already crossed the finish line for us it means that when we get to the end there's a medal with our name on it waiting for us the victory is already ours. And his promise is that he now gives us the strength that we need to run our race well. It's his strength that he provides. He's the one who will bring our faith and our journey to its completion. I love how Paul puts it in the book of Philippians when he says, And I'm certain of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's not going to let you run on your own steam. He's gonna provide you with exactly what you need to take a next step, and then the next step, and then the next step. He won't let you fail. And what I love is that he says that the reason he did all this was for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. What does that mean? It means that the reason that he ran this race on our behalf was for the joy of welcoming us when he comes again in glory. Welcoming us across that finish line and celebrating with us. That's why he did it. That's why he was willing to run the race to the very end. Why he was willing, uh, he was willing to run even into the jaws of death to take the punishment that we deserve so that we could have the victory that is his. It's why he rises again in glory to, ass- to show us that the victory is assured and so we can live now in confidence knowing that the race is done, and that although right now it might feel hard to take another step, the victory is already ours. I love how he says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There are times when we are tempted to quit, times when we straight up leave the race course, we go off on our own detours, times when we just sit down and give up. But even in those moments, Jesus won't give up on us. He won't give up on you, that even when we run away from him or turned our backs on him, he ran the race for us anyways. He finished it and gives us the victory. And so we don't have to lose heart or become discouraged because his promises is, is I'm not going to abandon you as you run. I'm going to give you exactly what you need to take the next step. I will carry you across that finish line if I have to. So I don't know what it is you've been facing this year. It's been a hard year. It's been a challenging year, and I know a lot of us are tired and exhausted, but Jesus says, I will carry you. I've finished the race for you. I will help you take the next step and the next step, and then when you've got nothing left and you've collapsed on your knees, I will pick you up and I will drag you across that line because I love you. Again, that's why we do things like seeking solitude, isn't it? Because it's in those moments when we just feel like we've got nothing left and we want to quit and and in silence just give up, Jesus meets us there and encourages us once more. See, these keystone habits, it's all about really learning about his love for us. The depth of the love he has for us and what it means to run the the purposes and the plans that he has to run that race well, the one that he's marked out for us, to do so in community and to be encouraged, but to also know that every step we take— We we, we take only by uh, by His grace, by His love, by His strength. And so my encouragement to you is don't stop here. Take the next step and the next step and the next step. And when you've got nothing left, throw your hands up and reach out to Jesus. Because His strength is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in weakness. The being challenge is just the beginning. These 40 days were just the start of a lifetime journey of walking with Jesus, of running the race with him to experience the joy and the life that only he can give and that he delights to give to us. And so as we come to the end of this series, but as we start the beginning of our race, I want to encourage you with a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you love us so much, that you have a purpose for us and you've marked out our race ahead of us. And so Lord, in those moments when we get tired, we pray that we would lean on your strength, that we would run well with the family that you've placed around us, these brothers and sisters in faith, that these keystone habits would overflow into every other area of our life so that we might know what it means to grow up into you in whose image we are being formed and shaped. And we pray that as a result of that, as we do this, as we, as we trust in you and as you do your work within us and through us, that not only we but others around us would learn to look, live, and love more like you. Thank you for being not only the pioneer of our faith, but the perfecter of it. It's in you that we place all of our hope, all of our trust, and it's with you that we take the next step and the next step, and the next step, until the day when we cross that finish line together and hear you speak those words that you promised to speak, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my joy. It's in your name that we pray, amen.